welcome to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. My name's Ian McNally and this podcast is a recording from a live webinar in January 2021 with my colleagues and former principals Billy Green and Terry Toomey. In this episode we lifted the lid on interviews. If you're successful with the application process the final stage is your interview. I started this webinar by asking Billy Green if you've got an interview surely this is a time for celebration. Yeah, it is actually. And I think too few people, uh, and I think it's probably a natural um, human thing to do, and we see it all the time, too few people uh, jump to the uh, negatives, and that is, I hate interviews, this is, oh God, this would be terrible, I'm already anxious. Look, in a sense, but having some sort of level of stress as anxiety has been pretty well proved to in um, help with our performance, as long as that doesn't overwhelm us. But on the other hand, you really have to... Um, take a few minutes to be pleased with what you've achieved to get an interview. Now, I'll get Terry to talk about it in a moment, but the um, getting to a shortlist is a really good achievement. It, it, the process is tricky. We can have between 40, 50, 60, I know sometimes up to 100 applicants. If you've got down to the last four or five, and that's all there is, we don't interview more than that because um, we just can't run this interview process over too many days. We try to get knock them all off in a day if we can. If you've managed to make it to the last four or five, in other words, being shortlisted, your application has obviously done its job and they are very keen to meet with you. I have never, ever, ever, and I'm sure Terry the same, decided to interview anyone uh, just for the fun of it because it's, it's not the fun of it that you do it for. So if you've got there, you're a serious candidate, they want to meet you, so... The first thing is before you get underway, and there's a lot of work to do between uh, appointment time and the interview, there's a lot of work to do, but at least, Terry, you should be pleased with yourself, shouldn't you? Because I, I would never interview anyone who I might not appoint. I mean, you you know, you're giving up at least an hour of your time in the panel's time to that interview. Um, yeah, so look, I think, um, as you say, it enables an applicant to explore the whole process if you're shortlisted for interview, because then you can get some quality feedback not only around the application, but also about the interview, which is, you know, often completely different sort of learning. And um, two things I'll say, you know, I, I think that is invaluable in itself, but also I think if you can get to interview and you go through the whole process, you probably find whether you're working as a CRT or on a short-term contract, you actually do your job better um, just by going through the process because I think it's the ultimate in terms of professional learning. Yeah, when I hear anybody has got an interview, I'm so pleased for them because I just think from this point on, you can't lose. If, if you get the job, great. But if you don't get the job, the interview process, for good or bad, is one of the best learning experiences you'll have. You'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll learn a lot about the school, a lot about the process. And let's be straight as well that you sometimes sat there in an interview thinking, I actually don't want this job now. <laughs> you know, there is those moments where you have to be brave and say, you know, I thought I really wanted this job, but I'm not getting the right uh, feedback back from this school. I don't think I'll survive or thrive here. Um, so there is also that aspect to it as well, which maybe we'll talk about later. But Billy, so few candidates make it to interview. And then it is a really uh, labor intensive period from the school's point of view isn't it they they have a really short time frame they use senior members of staff so when you're sat down at interview you've got a panel in front of you um who can you expect on that panel and let's remember as well schools don't often think about it in these terms but that's it's hundreds of dollars per interview isn't it in terms of a wage bill so it is a serious business yeah look um in the government system which is where most of the jobs are but we interviewed a um senior uh, staff member of the hr department of private school earlier or rather um, in 2020 the similar situation but typically in a government school, I have a selection panel. It, it will be the principal or a delegate, that the, uh, so often the assistant principal, or perhaps even head of department. There'll be a senior staff member um, of an area or department and then a person representing the staff. All of those people are really committed to the school. They'll know their school really well. 
but they are all engaged in other duties at the school on a normal day-to-day -day basis and they have to suspend those duties. They have to be replaced typically by CRTs. So it's an expensive process and not a process that can go on for a long period of time. So it's a process that the schools take seriously on a number of levels, not the least being no one would want to put in um, a position of responsibility, someone that they didn't trust that could do the job well. But nonetheless, leaving aside just the selection part, it is a, a response. Schools don't have HR departments. It's their staff largely and the principals who have to put that together. So it's a serious process. And that brings me to the, I guess, the next point. And there's a lot of nuts and bolts that people aren't aware of um, that they really should be aware of that will actually enhance their possibilities of getting a job. So, for example, the, the timelines, uh, it's a bit like uh, I've got to go off shortly to a, a skin appointment. I don't mind sharing that. Um, could remind everyone to put sunscreen on. Uh, but, I, I, you know, getting this appointment with this doctor, I, I couldn't put it off because I'm, I'm not going to get back there till March. Now, getting an appointment for an interview with the school, you can't just ring up and say, oh, look, actually, the Wednesday doesn't suit. How about next Wednesday? That's not going to work. Schools, have, we don't have this endless timetable for appointments. They'll give you a, a narrow sort of um, uh, window of opportunity. It might be next Tuesday or Wednesday, and they'll pick the candidates around those. So you have to be able to accommodate those the, the school. And you, you certainly things around you can't turn up late. Uh, you need to know where you're going, where to park, all the sorts of stuff that you need to, so you give yourself the best possible chance. This is leaving aside all the curriculum questions and whatever, giving yourself the best possible chance is just being organised. Know what you're going to wear on the day, know what you're going to take, know where you're going to park, how long it's going to take you to get there. Um, just all those things that are going to actually take the stress off you um, and all those things that are going to send a message to the school of this guy is serious about the job. Uh, he's going to accommodate our timelines. Um, yep, it's all, all full steam ahead with this interview. Because, Terry, if you muck any of those things up, you put yourself behind the eight ball, don't you? You do, Billy, because uh, the people that are on the panel, basically, you know, have had to clear their diaries for that time and be freed up. And, you know, they've had to be replaced um, with CRTs or somebody, you know, a colleague taking their classes as an extra. Um, so you've got principal and or assistant principal and, you know, a couple of other people. You know, it's it's quite a logistical challenge pulling that off and uh, you wouldn't want to be sort of rescheduling. And there's, you know, a significant amount of resources required to cover off on that. You'll need, you know, the office will need to be alerted. You'll need, you know... A spare room for people to sit when they get there. You've got the interview situation. So for a school, it's a it's a significant in investment, and um, yeah, quite a logistical challenge. And on that note, that goes to show that in the vast majority of cases, people who are interviewing you want you to do well. One of the reasons is is not only the resource it takes to interview you, but also the fact that some of the panel have selected you for interview. And they don't want you to make a fool of them. <laughs> is, that, is, is that true, Billy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the process for people that are unaware of it and um, is that, you know, every application is open and given, uh, unless they fail to meet criteria or whatever, is given uh, uh, equal amount of respect. If, if, if this, the panel was the three of us, and it wouldn't be because it hasn't uh, gender representation, but um, if we, we would go back and forth and Terry would have, say, his uh, five or ten candidates, and he would have his, I would have mine, we might agree on, say, three absolute certainties. We'll then argue the case down to the last two. And if, um, you know, I've backed my horse in and got it up, the last thing I want is a phone call to say, oh, what's the name ring? Uh, she's not interested anymore or she, she can't make it. And the, the others look at me like, damn, you know, we should have interviewed someone else. So, yeah, you definitely want to get, um, it's a serious business. It's not something that people take lightly at all. I've always, um, you know, talked about, I know Terry's talked more about it um, in terms of the person representing him, but I've always taken it from the point of view, when I show them into the room on the morning that they're going to be responsible for the welfare and the learning of a group of grade two students, I don't want to be walking away from the student uh, from the door thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I need to be thinking this person's the right person for the job. And I know, Terry, you always think of, of them, those people representing you. Oh, look, absolutely. You know, I, I always chose to be on as many panels as I possibly could. 
um, as a principal, because as you and I know, Billy, um, it's no good being captain unless you can pick the team. And also, if you're coming onto my staff, you are representing me as a principal. So I, I want to have a, a really good idea uh, around, you know, what we're appointing in terms of uh, of confidence. And similarly, if I couldn't do the panel because I had, you know, a, another engagement at that time as principal, whoever did run that panel on my behalf then, you know, I'd like to be convinced they'd make a recommendation to me based on the panel experience. And as part of that, then they would, want, you know, need to convince me that, that that applicant will be the best fit for our school. And on that note, Billy, um, it's often the case that a lot of um, an anxiety uh, for a teacher going to interview is is the power dynamic. Uh, they see the panel as holding the power and that they have got to kind of prove themselves to the panel. But that isn't the most healthy way to, to see the situation, is it? In terms of you just alluded to there that you want to employ a colleague, an equal, a, a peer. Um, you know, how does that um, factor into the, the behavior that you should exhibit in an interview? It's very hard to get away from the fact uh, because of our sort of the way that we operate as humans that they do have the power and I don't. They've got the jobs, I want the job. It's very hard to get around that dynamic. But I think what you have to assure yourself is that if things go your way and you need, I think this is a really good uh, uh, way to approach the interview, is to imagine yourself in that job at that school. And those people on that panel are then going to be your colleagues. And one of the people on that panel potentially is going to be your boss. So if you go into the interview thinking in those terms, it does break down that sort of um, them versus me sort of scenario. And it becomes very much, they are trying to find out uh, as much as they can about you that's going to fit uh, with them uh, and their school. So in a lot of ways, you're the jigsaw piece that they are, that's fallen behind the couch and there's three or four of them in there, and they want to find out which jigsaw piece fits in here the best. So you're trying always to get the candidates up. You're not trying to knock them back and make it tricky for them. And, you know, you have to actually go in there believing that these people are trying to get the best fit for their school. It's now my job just to say to them, I am the best fit for your school. So, it, you know, it, it, it throws it around in a slightly different way. They are actually there to help you. They're not there to trick you. Um, any of the uh, the trickery or any of the confusion or any of the misreading of that largely comes from you. When we design questions at the panel, we're not saying, right, let's see if we can write, uh, ask a really tricky question. That's not the idea at all. The, the idea of the questions is, um, this is what we know at our school. This is what we want at our school. Do these candidates have these skills? If we ask this question, that'll give them the opportunity to show us that they do or they don't. That's the way that it's structured from the panel's point of view. So we're not trying to trick you or um, uh, muck you up. We want to try to just get the best fit for the school. And if you go in there with that attitude that they're trying to find out about me, that's a slightly different way to look at it than as opposed to they're trying to make uh, trip me over. Yeah, look, you make some great points, Billy. You don't have to make tricky questions at interview. Um, interviews are such, I think, that, you know, any, any questions... Um, always create a certain, certain amount of anxiety and we certainly don't spend any time making them any more difficult than they are. In fact, just as you've explained, I think they are provided as an opportunity for you to you know, expand on your knowledge and to convince us that you'll be the best fit because the subtext to any interview from the staff point of view on the panel is what are you going to be like to work with as a colleague? Now, you may not get a question about that, but you can bet that when the interview's over and they're deciding between applicants, that'll be something that'll be spoken about. You know, who is the best person, um, you know, in, in terms of being a potential colleague? Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned at the start, I do have to go. So I, there's just one thing I love to talk about with interviews. So I'm going to leave this because I just so I don't, uh, I'd hate to miss the chance to yeah. say it. Um, you know you're going to get questions around, uh, and Terry and you can probably discuss these uh, at greater length, but there's always going to be something around assessment. There's always going to be something around curriculum. There's always going to be about teaching strategies and the management of classrooms and probably differentiation and, and as Terry said, your way that you communicate. What I think you've got to do before you go into, knowing full well you'll get some sort of question about that, and I know Terry's really big on saying make sure you answer the question they asked, not the one you've prepared, but nonetheless, if you're going to talk about something, let's say, about assessment, you need to have in your head 
and you need to have read the material and know full well in your head everything that you need to about assessment such that you could explain it to a 12 year old. In, in other words, you, you can explain it in a really simple fashion so that that then means that you can articulate that as the first point of your answer. So you've got it down, you know, um, if someone asked me to describe something about, I don't know, my garden here, I know it well enough that I could explain it in a sentence, right? But if I can't explain it in one sentence, then I haven't got a great starting point. And then I can't draw on stuff and build and then and, and offer um, examples along the way. So what do you really believe about assessment? What do you really believe about high impact teaching strategies? If a 12 year old said, what is a high impact teaching strategy? Could you explain what they are, why we utilize them, which one is your favorite and how you've done that in, uh, when you've um, you know, had the opportunity to teach, how you've demonstrated your practice. So I think that that's the one thing I'll leave people with because I do have to go unfortunately, but know your stuff to the point that you can explain it really simply. That becomes your base and then you can build on that through interview by talking about the nuance of it, by talking about how you've given examples of it in your teaching practice. But if you go in there and just pluck every idea from all over the place that you've ever heard about assessment, it will come out as a dog's breakfast. You'll start to panic halfway through. You'll look unconvincing and you'll see people looking down at their notepads and taking, you know, writing a few things like, oh, this is all over the shop. He sort of knows it, but he doesn't really know it. Um, then they'll ask another question. So if I can leave you guys with that one and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you all this afternoon. Thanks so much, Billy. Now, Terry, um, Billy made some really important points there about actually finessing and drilling down on what you actually believe in. Um, and it's better in an interview situation to have some really strong touchstones that you can keep going back to and referring to rather than having that scattergun approach isn't it as as billy said it, it really does create a, a a minefield for yourself yeah look absolutely and i think you know anyone that's going to be interviewed um i think it's 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 good just to think back about a couple of things one is the questions should come from the selection criteria. And from my experience as a principal, you know, that's what happens. We'll sit down um, a couple of days before the interview and we'll, we'll work out what our five or six questions might be. And we'll look at the selection criteria um, and, and, and draw them from them. But obviously, look, there'll be a question around teaching and learning and it, will, and it may well have an engagement focus. It may have a focus around um, differentiation there'll be a question around assessment um, there might be a situational analysis which could be to do with um, working with colleagues more often than not it might be around managing students um, and I think um, if you've got those key touchstones um, under control then I think you, you can relax um, and go in Ian, and sort of enjoy the interview, uh, trust yourself, be authentic, be yourself. But, you know, I think you can be confident if you're preparing constantly around those areas, then, you know, clearly they're the areas we write to. Each school will have a particular sort of focus and you can do your pre-work on their website um, anyway, because, you know, you, you may, and there might be an additional question that you've, you know, um, written to in the criteria anyway in, in terms of uh, ICT in that school or, or maybe they'll be a school-wide positive behaviour school. You know, that, that'll be known. Um, but in, in a sense, it's not exact science. It's not like physics. So we're genuinely interested to hear what you've got to say. There are not right or wrong answers, but we're generally, uh, genuinely interested in what your view is in terms of the question and the question, I think, just gives you an opportunity as an applicant to explain how you operate. And that's what we're after. Yeah. And I think that's uh, very true that, uh, you know, you've um, you should read the your application before you go into the interview. I think that's a critical thing that a lot of people forget is read over your own application before you go into the interview so that your answers match up with your application, because that's why you've got the interview. And the panelists would have read your application before your interview 
So do them the service of doing the same yourself. But I, I think it really, really helps, um, Terry, I, I think you'll agree with this, to tell your story in an answer about your evidential experience. But also it helps to have a bit of a narrative about um, a previous experience you had, what action you took, uh, how students responded, uh, how it resolved itself and so on. I love that approach. And I think um, it gives a real authenticity to, you know, um, your, your response to talk about uh, previous experience uh, from other schools, I think. Um, yeah, look, absolutely. And I, I think um, also it, it links the interview to the application in some ways and allows you to sort of build on um, you know, what, what you've written in the application um, and to, to expand on that. The point you made earlier, I think, about the application is vital because that's all the panel knows about you beforehand is what you've written in that application. So if you're going to do anything when you get in the car, you know, if you're sitting there 20, 30 minutes beforehand, just don't worry about anything, but just reread that application because um, you don't want a situation where they can refer to it specifically in in a question um, or, you know, in something spontaneous that comes up that they allude to the fact that, you know, well, look, you've referred to this in your application. So it's, it is, um, it's good to be all over that. Now, we've had a quite a, a few uh, excellent questions from Serena, Rachel, Mohammed. We will get around to those uh, in uh, later in the webinar because uh, it's uh, really valuable, I think, some of those questions. Uh, that moment that you're preparing to go in for interview, yes, hopefully you've arrived there early. That can be a bit, a, bit of a daunting uh, period of time when you've got, you arrive at the school. You know, so I've certainly been in a situation where I've planned the route um, probably my anxiety has uh, suggested I should leave even earlier just to make sure. And then you've arrived at the school and you're two streets away and you think, I've still got an hour to wait, you know. That can be problematic in itself. So, um, yeah, a good time to read, but also a good time just to get, make sure you get yourself in a good mood. You know, go for a walk. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say go for a coffee because you don't want to need, need to use the bathroom partway through your interview or um, that type of thing. Um, or have bad breath as well. That's another probably factor of, uh, of drinking very nice coffee. Um, but those type of things of getting yourself in a good mood, feeling relaxed, feeling prepared... Um, now, on that note, uh, Terry, just about managing those nerves, you know, sometimes res make people respond in a negative way when they first walk into a school. So, for example, they might have that anxiety about the, the interview uh, and the nerves uh, and the adrenaline running through them. They go into the reception area. They might speak a bit too quickly or be a bit too demanding at the desk. What's the right approach to do to manage uh you know introduce yourself before the interview because i'll tell you this little story about a school i i i worked in um where as the candidates on interview day when the candidates pulled up in the school car park the principal and the receptionist uh business manager were looking out the window across the car park and the interview had started <laughs> to the unwitting candidates. They got out of their car. One candidate got out of their car and was on their mobile phone and finishing a conversation. One got out and had a coffee cup. I think both of those lost the interview. <laughs> they lost that job then before they'd even entered the building, probably unfairly. But we have to get ourselves in a situation where we're feeling good, don't we? How do we do that and manage that situation? Yeah, look, I think um, don't focus on anything other than that first interaction. And that won't be with the panel. That'll be with someone at the school. And I think you just try and come over as in a, an authentic sort of way um, because that person will actually be in contact with whoever's chairing the panel to let them know that you're there. And, you know, it's not unknown that they may some, say something positive, negative, neutral, like whatever. So treat that person in, in a sense as though, um, they're on the panel um, because, that, you know, they, they've got a key role, I think, in the school. It's um, nerves 
Look, I think nerves are natural. If you're not a little bit anxious about the interview, you probably won't perform as well as you you could anyway. So, you know, I think embrace that, ex- accept it. And th- this process becomes less terrifying over time. And I can tell you someone, as speaking as someone who's had, you know, a million interviews as a teacher and assistant principal and principal for jobs and I've been successful and unsuccessful, I think in the end, um, you reach a stage where you just try and enjoy the experience, I think, and and just trust yourself. You've done your preparation, whatever will be. You go in, you give the best uh, response to the questions that you can. Things that I've learned, I think, are it's nothing wrong with being there early. If you're going to fill in time, read your own application. Think about maybe who's on the panel, if you know their names. Um, that's good if you can remember them. Hopefully they'll be wearing a name tag. Um, It's great, I think, to be able to use people's names um, in that situation. Just be reasonably confident in your own ability if you've done the preparation. What I found was I improved considerably between my, say, first and third or fourth interview. I think there's, you know, significant learning that you pick up by going through this process. Also, try and think about if you were on the panel rather than being an applicant, what would you be looking for? Because I think that's, we tend to focus exclusively, we're absorbed with ourselves as an applicant. But I think the more you go through the process, think about it, well, if I was on the panel, what might I want? And the other thing that you get a little bit more comfortable with is seeing it as a matching process. To an extent, you're interviewing the panel as much as they're interviewing you. An important point to note as well, uh, I think you're right about turning up on time, but don't turn up early to the school itself. You know, if you if you do show up like I, I did one time, you know, 45 minutes before the interview, you know, go for a walk around the block, go for, uh, you know, stretch your legs, sit in the car, um, but turn up, actually go through the school doors the time that you, you know, five minutes before the interview or whenever they've requested that you should go. It is a bit awkward if you get there 45 minutes early and then have to sit in reception for 45 minutes. It's, it's just a, a strange uh, human experience. Um, so try to avoid that one. In terms of uh, some of the basics as well, uh, Terry, in terms of what to wear for a, an interview uh, for a teaching role, uh, kind of depends on the expectations of the school, but there are some minimum requirements on it. Yeah, look, I think if you're well-dressed, that's where it's the advantage of doing a tour or going to the school beforehand because you get a sense of what everybody else looks like. And um, I'd suggest that an interview should be looking exactly what everybody else looks like, plus 10 or 20%. I think there's not, if, you, if I was going to err in an interview, I might be marginally, you know, I might dress marginally more conservatively. Um, but not in such a way that I'd look completely out of place. So dress up, but basically, you know, um, turn up as though you're going to work there. Yeah, and and I think that points um, in terms of, you know, people want to employ somebody they want to work with. And if you look the part of somebody that they can see in the role, uh, it is an important visual uh, in terms of your demeanor, the way you dress, all of those things. And, you know, if you're in a a so-called high-performing school in uh, the southeastern suburbs, then their expectation, you know, for men might be a shirt and tie, uh, jacket and business dress for females and, and all of those things. You, you you really have to know because certainly there are schools that if you walk in a door with less than that, then frankly, you're not going to get the job. Uh, it's, it's, that, <laughs> it's that crucial, isn't it? Um, certainly for those schools who where perception is high on their agenda. Yeah, oh, look, absolutely critical. And I think we had a, a great guest on the webinars last year from Corowa Girls Anglican. And I think, um, you know, from in working in a non-government school, I think um, in, in particular, um, I'd be checking out exactly what everybody else was wearing uh, at that school and, um, you know, make, making sure I, I was sort of uh, on the same page, that's for sure. Yeah, lots of clues on school websites as well in terms of that. Also, uh, parents are reflective as well sometimes, you know, if, if you're there at um, you drop-off or pick-up time, you can sometimes see the community, the way parents address, the expectations they might have. Um, you know, there's all lots of different clues that you can take. None, none of them are definitive or correct, but um, always useful to keep your eyes out for that. In terms of 
the preparation work you can do for knowing exactly where you stand as a teacher i think this is really important to have this uh, assessment of yourself before you go into the interview i've just put into um the chat the link for the eight soul self-assessment tool that you can do as a teacher i think this is so valuable probably to do before the application process but certainly before interview because it just means that you align all your strengths and areas of development uh, in with the Australian teaching standards. So you're able to talk to those specific areas because one of those questions that might pop up is one of those horrible ones, Terry, which might be, uh, what do you consider your weaknesses or something like that? A, a real uh, horrible question to, to answer. Hopefully nobody's asking that in a modern school, but um, this is a really important thing to know exactly where you sit, but also to talk to the areas of development because uh, we had a question just before about, um, or a comment just about what questions you should ask the school at the end. Um, sometimes at the end of the interview, they say, oh, do you have any questions for us? If you can bring up some questions about how, you know, the school are gonna support your professional developments, you know, you could say, I've identified these areas for my professional developments. How could, if I was successful, how would you be able to help me with those? I think that's a really impressive question to ask a school because it shows you're really on top of things. Would you agree, Terry? Oh, absolutely. And it also shows that you've thought about what your areas for development might be. And regardless of whether you're a first year out teacher or a principal, you've got, everyone's got significant areas for development. Uh, and that's fine, you know. And, and I think the clearer you are um, around that, then the more impressed the uh the panel will be. Yeah, so I definitely urge you to do that. Uh, a really good time of the year as well before uh, we get in the full swing of things to do that uh, self-assessment in line with the Australian teaching standards. Uh, there, there are definitely other uh, resources as well. The department's website, the high impact teaching strategies, all of those things uh, you should have a look at before you go. Just get yourself around the language. Um, and also Terry, there is, um, this is probably something that people don't talk about too often because there's probably a, a bit of a uh, social, uh, not a taboo is the wrong word, but maybe perception about it. But practice your answers um, or practice, you know, in the mirror before you go or in your head or in the car before your interview. Practice your stories, the way you're going to tell them. Certainly don't just spring those out in irrelevant times in the interview but listen, and then when you think it's appropriate to give those stories, have them well-practiced. How important is that? Uh, it's critical. It's an area that I'm working on at the moment with assistant principals, actually. Um, but just gen gen in a general sense, I think it's it's great. Um, get a trusted or critical friend to um, sit down with you maybe and, and ask you um, a, a range of questions. Um, and you, you get, uh, I think, more and more comfortable over time with your responses. Uh, with the assistant principals that I'm working with, we're, we're doing a lot around videoing people. And um, initially, you know, like people think it's a pretty terrifying sort of uh, process. But I think after they've done it once or twice, uh, it, it's amazing how much more comfortable that we all get. Um, and I think also it gives us an indication of how the panel might see us which is hard to get unless you watch yourself back. So if somebody is, can just video you with a phone or, or, or whatever, and um, yeah, just uh, watch back. And um, I think if you can do it a couple of times, you'll be surprised uh, how much you improve, uh, how much more you think about what you say and what you don't say, how, more, how much more aware you are of your own idiosyncrasies. Um, and I think that's, you know, uh, th that's important, but I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a good learning tool because at the end of the day, you probably ask yourself the question, well, having watched that, would I employ me? Um, and, you know, let's hope you would, but I, I just think that, that, that is a tool, as you say, for, um, retelling the stories and, um, and, and being really clear in our own minds, um, you know, about our narrative and our responses. The other point you make in around hits, I think is critical, um, on two levels. One is um, it's becoming more and more common that we're getting questions around that on panels, which is to be expected. 
and people should just be aware that nobody expects you to talk about the 10 high impact teaching strategies. We just want you to choose a few um, that, that you've used and you can provide, I think, really good sort of quality evidence um, in, in that regard. A couple of critical things as well, I think is, uh, which is hinted on there is being authentic, being yourself, uh, telling the story of who you are is so important. Don't go into an interview thinking, I'm going to try and give them the answers I think they want to hear because that just sets you up for failure, possibly just in the interview. But what happens if you get the job and you've given a, a, a wrong uh, impression of yourself in the interview? Everybody's going to be upset with that. I think it's uh, so important to be yourself you know, sometimes the time or the role just isn't right for you in that moment. The school might be right, the environment might be right, the year level might be right, or the specialism. But just that time, you know, you don't know the dynamics happening in a school. For example, I worked in a school where when they interviewed, they wanted somebody with a really strong personality because they had assessed across their staff that they probably needed somebody who had you know, a very strong and more forceful personality. Had you been a more timid teacher coming to that interview, you could have been perfect for that role, but it just wasn't what they wanted for the overall ecosystem of the school. That didn't mean that you were wrong for the, the job or that you weren't good enough. It just means that you weren't suitable right there and then. And vice versa, you might need somebody sometimes who, who is a little bit more timid or who has a different personality trait. So after all said and done, Terry, you know, do you, you look for that as a leadership team? You might be looking for people who whose personality type fits in with the team so that you don't have uh, a too a dominant personality type. Is that would that be fair to say as well? Definitely. I think, you know, we're all we're all looking to get that optimum balance within teams. And that's why the input from staff on the panel is um, yeah, I think is is uh, is really critical. And as a principal, I'm probably also looking in at where you're going to be in three years' time. You know, get it, get a sense of you know those areas for development because you know you're a major investment for me uh, on the panel. I want to get a return on that investment in the best interests of my students, obviously. But you know, you're a significant <laughs> resource, so I'll probably be looking at you know three to five years where you know. Um, you know, at the back of my mind, I'll be looking at, well, down the track, might this person be in a secondary setting? Might they be a good subject manager as well? Um, might they also be someone who could work in level coordination? You know, like it's just because I was in the principal job, I suppose, for so long. I'm also looking at what else you might be able to contribute to the life of the school in terms of the co-curricular program. So there's a lot of things that won't be specifically asked in questions that I'll have at the back of my mind. Terry, I made the mistake once of uh, during a staff appraisal, they said, where do you see yourself in three years? And I said, a different school. <laughs> so probably the wrong thing to say. Not a great career move uh, for anybody listening. Um, but I thought it was funny and it still is. Uh... <laughs> I worked in, um, I worked as a principal in, I think, uh, three different schools and I taught in another six. So like in the end, um, you know, I worked in, in nine different schools. And I think, um, yeah, it's, that, that's actually a response people should not be frightened to, um, to give um, because over, over the journey, if you're going to work in education for 25 years, then you, hopefully you'll move around to at least half a dozen different schools. Absolutely. And I think uh, the more it goes on with experience, you realize that, that the interview process is the start of building a relationship as a colleague. Even if you don't get the job, you've still built connections and relationships uh, and that could be fruitful in a future career, uh, you know, in a future further down the line in your career. But also, if you do get that job, that is such a good opportunity because you don't get that one to one time necessarily with those senior uh, leaders in the school again, um, sometimes in a school. So what a great opportunity it is. Uh, we've got quite a few questions um, to get through as well. Amazing questions uh, that we've 
been asked and so many good comments uh, throughout the webinar as well in the chat. Thank you so much for those. If you do have any more, please do uh, sneak them in before the end of the webinar. I just wanted to cover very quickly before we get to those questions that I know uh, Billy had to uh, shoot off, but he did make a list of what schools are really looking for in terms of assuming you've got the knowledge and capacity for the role. I'll just read out that list. It's initiative, competence, presence, confidence, teamwork, personability, enthusiasm and passion, respect and knowledge of the children and relationships. Now, probably apart from that last one, that applies to any job. Does it? All of those things apply to any job. So we're kind of kidding ourselves if we think that teaching's different to most jobs in terms of the interview. Uh, for most of the things that an employee, a employer is looking for, you have to, as well as all that curriculum knowledge, high impact teaching strategies, Australian teaching standards, knowledge of behavior management, all of those things are all critical. But ultimately, the lion's share of your job is going to come down to these things of initiative, competence, presence, confidence, teamwork, um, being personable, enthusiasm. It's it's quite a, a roll call, that, isn't it? It's it's about how well we work with other people and our ability to demonstrate that, whether they be um, students or, or whether they be staff members, because as we know, you know, um, unless kids like teachers, they don't learn anything from them, which is a bit of a worry. So are you going to be the sort of person that can build good relationships and, um, and trust with students? Because I think that's really important in any environment. And certainly for me in a secondary environment, it was actual, you know, it was absolutely critical. And similarly, how well are you going to work with your colleagues? Are you going to be high maintenance or are you going to be able to contribute as, as a member of the team? You know, what, what can you bring uh, to the table, are you going to be able to learn from others? Yeah, so I think, you know, that, that list, that Billy's uh, list is a ripper, but, um, you know, I think it, but it is built around how well we work with others. Yeah, and I think it's also worth pointing out there, we talked a little bit about the, the general ecosystem and, and employing certain personality types and where the role's right. Um, that's true as well, not only to be a good colleague and be able to work as a team, but also we've, we've mentioned it in a previous webinar about dealing with parents. If you've got a particularly active parent body or a demanding parent body in that interview, you really need to display uh, that you would be able to create the boundaries, deal with those parents, um, you know, not be... Uh, not be bullied into anything that you uh, didn't want to be. So there's all of those uh, background things going on as well. We'll address some of these questions as well just in the last 10 minutes as we get close to the end of the webinar. Um, some brilliant ones. Uh, Serena's asked, uh, just compared with other applicants, how would you advise someone who's been working for as a CRT for a long time? Uh, do they have less advantage uh, compared with regular or permanent teachers? Look, not, not necessarily, depending on the sorts of schools they've been working in. And there can be a range of reasons that people work as a CRT for a long time. They, they may well choose uh, to do that. It might, may well suit their particular lifestyle. So, no, I, I think, um, you know, sometimes people can be advantaged if they're already working at that school, um, either as a CRT or on a short-term contract, no doubt about that. But other than that, I would just take it at, at its face value. And maybe you're working as a CRT in a range of challenging schools. So for a, if, a, if a position came up in a school that was, you know, challenging in any way, I think you'd, you'd have, um, you know, very good background and experience for that. So I, I don't think, other than if you're already there, which means we will know you, one, you know, which can be positive or negative. No, I think other than that, it's a reasonably level playing field. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant opportunity to really showcase, you know, the challenges and unique circumstance you would have as a as a relief teacher, uh, dealing with so, such a variety across so many different schools is a real advantage uh, if you can sell it in the right way. I would certainly love to employ somebody who had you know, broad experience of relief teaching that they'd reflected upon 
uh, than employ somebody who'd just been stuck in a role for you know <laughs> however many years um not reflecting or just being in a safe position so definitely but i think yeah just need to give some thought about how you sell your experience and, and show that you've reflected upon your experience and and grown during that time yeah and look one thing you will have is resilience uh, and i think which is critical to um you know anyone that we appoint to a position so if you can demonstrate that through your crt experience that's a big bonus uh rachel's just asked um how many people are usually on a panel uh does it uh, reflect the size of the school uh normally on a panel you'll get um uh, you know a principal class person um who who chair it um, also there'll be someone who's merit and equity trained and there'll be gender representation. I also like to have a, at least someone from a specialist area if we were appointing a phys ed teacher or a food tech teacher or a music teacher or English, I would get somebody from that learning area, the curriculum manager if they are available, otherwise an underling, someone who had a real vested interest um, in, in that area in the school. So you usually get a, probably about four people um, but there'd be a minimum of three. Yeah, and I think in uh, the independent sector, it can vary, same in the Catholic sector, but generally uh, the ideal scenario is, you know, in a primary school, you might have three people. Hopefully you'll have uh, the principal and an assistant principal, plus maybe somebody, say, from the Catholic Education Office or an external person. Some schools have a student on the panel, Um which is always good. And some um, schools will have a governor or a parent on the panel as well. Uh, quite rare to do that, but still worth uh, factoring that into your thoughts. Uh, what would I do if a student was sat on the panel? Or some schools as well, they've gathered uh, questions from students. I've certainly had that before um, where they've asked you, um, or they might just ask you, students might ask you a question at the start and then they go back to their lesson. Those type of things, uh, again, doesn't happen everywhere. doesn't happen in every scenario, but worth factoring in uh, that, that those things might happen uh, as well. Mohammed asked a question uh, just around, I uh, recently been to an interview and uh, got the question that you're packing up to leave the class and in the meantime, a student approaches you before you leave the room. How do you deal with that? That's a really good example of a, of a question. It's very specific, Terry, that question. And that almost does seem like a question to try and trip you up, but it, it's this is really a question about following process and procedure, isn't it? And it's seeing whether you understand child safety, child protection, whether you understand how to protect yourself and whether you understand how uh, to follow the uh, policy and procedure of the school as well. So a question like that, you're packing up to leave the class and in the meantime, a student approaches you before you leave the room, how do you handle that? I think the, the answer for me would be, I would, for the student, steps into the room, never be one-on-one -on -one with a student, tell a student to leave the room. Uh, you will talk to them, but it'll be in the corridor. Um, and that you're you might be moving somewhere else and also as a teacher you always need to be thinking about can i be seen is there other people around never be one-on-one -on -one with a student i think if you if you know enough about child protection and protecting yourself that is a really uh, specific question that gives you a chance to showcase that knowledge and a lot of questions are like that aren't they terry they sound specific they give a really specific reason but what they're asking for is your general understanding of a concept isn't it exactly and the sort of process that you you would follow in that situation now what are the guiding principles that um you know uh, you, you would follow. And I, th I think that's, that's critical. And as you say, you know, you, you just move to a more common area outside the classroom where, you know, that in a sense protects both parties because they, you can both be observed. Excellent. Uh, Melanie's just asked in primary school interviews, I've often been asked how I would teach a literacy block or a lesson. In this instance, what would the school be looking for in an answer? Is it okay to ask for what year level? absolutely ask for clarification. Uh, if there's any questions that uh, school asks you and you're not quite sure, by asking for clarification or saying, can you elaborate or give me a, a, the year group or the grade or, or what situation it is, you're showing that you're listening to the question, but also you're, you're saying, I'm going to tailor my answer to what you 
are asking, which is always an impressive interview uh, approach. Um, if they're asking you how you teach a literacy block or lesson, but I think always a good approach is not just to say, oh, I would teach an illiteracy lesson like this. I would say in my previous experience, when I've taught in this manner, I thought that this worked particularly well. And if I had my own class, then I'll be looking to do this. But I, I wouldn't necessarily do this, but I would tailor it to whatever the, the cohort, the students. What the school are looking for there is your knowledge around the literacy block. Are you able to differentiate? Are you able to cater for the students specifically in your class? Even though it sounds like they're asking you to give a one-size-fits-all answer, it's a really good opportunity to just take a sidestep and say, okay, well, here's my previous experiences. This is what I thought worked well. This is what I didn't think worked well. This is what I would do. And then you can ask, you know, the school, what resources do you have? What do you do in your school? Um, to see whether that fits in with your understanding as well. Yeah, and I think um, the key there is, as you say, to try and marry your previous experience and um, do that little cost benefit, you know, what you've learned, what you do differently uh, in the future. Uh, from the school's perspective, they're going to want to be convinced that it's going to be um, consistent with their approach. So I, I think that's, you know, that's the key there. And, and uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask a question yourself around that. And be flexible in your approach. Don't just give a, a really fine, this is how literacy should be taught um, because we should all be growing and, and uh, learning as well. Krista's asked, uh, what do you do if you can't answer a question or if you have a weak experience or answer? I mean, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Sometimes in the interview, we get a question where we, we just don't know the answer or we just don't have the experience there. Um, what what type, type of techniques can you use uh, in that, Terry, in that circumstance? Yeah, it's challenging. Okay, even as a principal, sometimes I've asked that they repeat a question if I wasn't um, just to make sure that I'm answering the question that they've asked, not, you know, going back to all that preparation I've done around that particular issue. The only thing that I can throw up there that I've seen is that just to be open and honest and people say, well, look, I'm just sort of blank I've blanked on that question at the moment. Can we come back to it? Can we just deal with another question first, perhaps, and then I'll come back to that? Or if I haven't answered a question all that well, if I'm not happy with my answer to a question as an applicant, I've seen people and I've done it myself, I've come back at the end of the interview when they've asked, is there anything that you'd like to say? I've said, oh, look, can we just go back to question two for a moment? Because um, there are some points that I'd like to add to that. Or just to say, look, I wasn't completely happy with my response to that. What I really meant to say was this. And I, and I think, um, that's one of the things where interviews are invaluable because you become better at this uh, over time. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I think one of the things I've learned about doing these webinars is that we, we do these webinars live. They're unscripted. Uh, there is a margin for error in in these, uh, you know, but in an interview, people aren't expecting you to be able to be like a TV presenter where you can just, you know, <laughs> come out with answers like on demand. It's fine to make mistakes. It's fine to say, actually, I didn't mean to say that. It, it shows good process, good reflection. Often the mistakes that we make are great opportunities. Um, and I think Krista's point there is, you know, I, I've certainly had the, the time where I was answering a question and I ended up just, it wasn't that my answer was weak. I was just babbling. I was just talking and I stopped myself and I said, sorry, I should have stopped 30 seconds ago <laughs> and everybody laughed and thought yeah you should have uh, probably probably 45 seconds ago but it was a, it was an opportunity to say look I, I I realize I'm just talking nonsense now uh, nobody stopped me so I just carried on but just pull yourself back uh, regroup gather yourself if it's a question that you just don't know a huge amount about you can say look I can't talk specifically to this however and then talk about something that you can, which is closely related to the question that they're 
uh, asking. Uh, you can't possibly have experience in everything. So I think that is a, a really good way to, to think about it. Karen has said, how do you frame your professional needs as a teacher in relation to the standards? How do you frame how you would like to develop as a teacher without sounding negative? I think we answered that a little bit before, Karen, but I think in essence, you want to know specifically the areas that you need for professional development. Schools would love more teachers to know that so that they can put the resource in the right place. They know that you need professional development. They want to give you professional development. Uh, it's definitely not a negative. It's a real positive to say, hey, I'm aware that I'm not great at this thing, but I'm aware and I'm working on it and I need your help. Um, but that is a, just such a perfect um, scenario for a school. The worst case scenario for a school is a teacher who's completely unaware of their shortcomings, completely unaware of their professional development needs. Is that true to say, Terry? Yeah, look, self-knowledge, self-awareness is absolutely critical. Everybody in that school that you're moving into is um, have got key areas for the develop for development. So for you to be aware of yours, I think is absolutely vital. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mohammed as well has asked a question uh, at the end of the interview when a panel asked, do you have any questions? What's the best approach? Uh, in short, Mohammed, we did cover this a little bit before, but um, in short, do have some questions. Don't say, oh, you've answered everything, <laughs> even though they might have. Have something up your sleeve. Um, one question that I asked, which was seldom addressed in an interview anyway, was uh, I would ask, uh, what does your school do to ensure that teachers have a good work-life balance? That was a question which always stumped school leadership often uh, because they had to kind of think about um, what what is it that they do? And but one of the reasons I asked that question as a more experienced teacher was to say, you know, I care about an area I care about. You know, I care about my work-life balance um, and I care that, you know, there's some thought being put into it as well. Other questions to ask as well are around your professional developments. Um, perfect question to ask because that's specific to you and it's not something that would have necessarily been covered in the interview have you got any um, good questions that you've heard over the years? In a secondary school, often at, at interview, we don't perhaps expand enough on uh, drill down into the role. So if we do appoint you to this role um, as a graduate, you know, teacher in English or humanities or maths or whatever, then I think it's fine to ask about, well, what might this look like in terms of the classes that I'm taking or who I'm going to work with? Um, what the expectations are around that, maybe drill, drill down a little bit more in, into the actual allotment because by and large, in a general sense, that allotment uh, will be known and the panel would be able to um, give you some feedback on that. Yeah, a couple of uh, other questions just to finish us off for the, this before our um, webinar this afternoon on teaching in specialist schools. Um, and Shahida has uh, brought up a really good point that you're often asked about the VIT code of conduct. If they're asking you about the VIT code of conduct in your interview, what the school are really asking is, do you understand the broader implications and responsibilities for a teacher in society? I think that is mainly what uh, the VIT code of conduct is there for. Um, and, you know, it does... Uh, go into child safety but also a big one terry which is going to be more and more in teaching is do you know your responsibilities in terms of visibility on social media conduct around messaging appropriateness messaging students liking posts etc etc is that fair to say absolutely even as an applicant you should be aware that um yeah expect the panel um at some level to have awareness of your uh social media presence uh, so if you need to do anything about that, uh, then uh, move quickly because, yeah, um, there'll be somebody, I used to find that one of my assistant principals on a panel would always um, check out the, um, you know, the social media presence of, of any applicant and, um, you know, that we wouldn't even interview anyone who we thought may not be a great fit um, based on their social media. Um, yeah. Uh, people should be aware that that uh, that, that happens uh, all the time. Yeah, do get onto that now. If in doubt, delete. 
And uh, Vandana has just asked, uh, do schools prefer to employ fully registered teachers than provisionally registered ones? I think as long as you uh, express to the school uh, you're provisionally registered, they will know they would have checked you on the register already. Um, they wouldn't interview you if that was a barrier. Uh, so just that's a really good question. Uh, do you have any questions for the panel at the end? Uh, yes. How are you going to support me in getting full registration? Uh, is this something you've done before at the school? Uh, which are the staff members who are able and trained to do that? Uh, all really good questions to ask. So in answer to the question, uh, no, probably no preference if they're interviewing you, Terry. They're happy for you to be provisionally registered and, and help you with full registration more than, more likely than not. Yeah, oh, look, absolutely. It'd be a significant investment. But I think um, if, if that is the case, then you, you can and should ask as a, as a final question, yeah, exactly what they'll put in place to support you to attain that uh, full registration. Well, thank you very much, Terry. And thanks to uh, Billy, even though departed early. Thanks so much, Terry. Thank you so much for listening to the Relief Teachers podcast brought to you by Tradewind Australia. Please do share this podcast with anybody who you think might find it useful and do refer to the show notes to record it as part of your professional development hours. If you need any help or support as a relief teacher, please get in touch with us at Tradewind through our website or call us on 1800 192 195. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time for another episode of Australia's leading relief teaching podcast.